Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. Millie Farrow is the hat-trick hero as Perth's 3-1 win away to Melbourne City firmly establishes their title credentials. Courtney Vine returns for Sydney FC, a brief 35-minute stint and a goal to her name was enough to nick the three points away from the Newcastle Jets. It's bittersweet for Canberra as their first win of the season against Brisbane is soured by the injury to Vesna Milivojevic. The Knicks and Victory share the points, a Sophie Harding masterclass gets the job done for the Wanderers, and Western United become the latest team to benefit from the new manager bounce. My name is Lachlan Abel and breaking down your dub weekend of football with me is Chris McPherson. Good evening. Evening, Lockie. And Paletti, hello to you. Good evening. Well, it was the blockbuster fixture as we went into the round. Top of the table clash between Melbourne City and Perth Glory. The game finished 3-1 in favour of the away side. And plea for me, firmly establishes Perth as the team to beat in this one. Going to Melbourne City away is not an easy feat at all. Millie Farrow with the hat-trick, of course. Four goals an hour in her last two. Earlier in the season, the goal-scoring responsibilities were falling to Grace Jarley and Susan Fongson-Cam. Now that Farrow's getting in in the act, they are a formidable opposition to anyone who comes up against them. Yeah, it, it's looked like when you've been watching Perth, like from, from Millie Farrow's perspective, that all it was going to take was one and the floodgates were going to open. They're just getting in the right places at the right time and just couldn't find a way to get it into the back of the net. And then you know, one last week, hat-trick against City this week. I mean, how many more can she score? Like... If she's finding her form, then, yeah, I think it absolutely puts Perth, um, you know, as perennial title favourites. And I think I think we'll look ahead to the game against Sydney FC this weekend at Macedonia Park. Not an easy place to travel. If they can, they can dispatch Sydney FC in relative ease at home on a Sunday night, then I think, I think we can further those discussions next week. But... Uh, this was not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, it was very cold, very rainy in Melbourne, and yet for some, you know, somehow, some way, the glory made this look easy. Yeah, Chris, we, we've gone on about Perth's uh, home form and how crucial that is with the away trip as well. It makes this victory even more convincing. It certainly does, and it's going to be interesting to see how this Perth side starts to deal with the fact that they will have the target on their back moving forward. They're no longer under that radar. As you said, beating Melbourne City on the road is a huge scalp for them. It puts them on top of the table. And look, we're a third of the way through the A-League women's season. So you'd have to think that Alex Aparkas, he's had control of this squad for quite some time now. He's been continuing to build them up and he's got them to this point now. So they've got to be aiming. Look, I think anything outside of the top four would be a failure from here, but they've, they've certainly got to have an eye on being you know, in one of those top two spots and you know, potentially, we, we, we talked about Wellington earlier in the year hosting the, hosting the grand final. If Perth could get hold of that grand final again, that's going to be a really challenging trip over there to the west uh, for any side that's going to go over there. It's where, you know, it's been dominated by those east coast sides, Sydney and the two Melbourne sides, and three Melbourne sides, sorry, over the last few years in terms of the finals race. So it'll be interesting to see if they can continue this and maintain it. As Paletti touched on, though, a big game this week. And... Uh, Sydney might come in uh, looking for a bit more of a bounce on form after admittedly some three a three-pointer on the weekend, but some room to improve. Clady, if you're on that Sydney FC coaching panel, you've got to look at the Perth team and say, okay, Grace Jarlow is scoring a lot of goals. Susan Fonks on Cam scoring a lot of goals. Millie Farris scoring a lot of goals. It's impossible to try and cover all three of those attacking options. It just makes life so difficult for the opposition. 
a strong back four certainly uh, certainly helps with covering those um, those defensive options. And I think that's going to be a key focus is it's going to be defense, 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 and try and play on the counter. Although I don't think playing on the counter is probably the best way to get the most out of this talent, uh, this talented uh, starting 11. Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of chop and changing as well. Players coming back from injury, players moving out after injury replacements. I mean, we saw Matty Caspers come in on the weekend on absolutely no notice. Um, I say no notice as in her contract was only, um, you know, signed, I believe, on uh, on Sunday morning to get her into uh, to get her into the squad. Like, it's it's a very topsy-turvy time for, for Sydney FC at the moment, and we'll touch on them more in a little bit. Um, from a Perth Glory perspective, I think this is going to be a case of play your game, play it at home, and you'll find your way with the three points. And I think that's what a lot of sides are learning now is they've got to for, for like if you're a Melbourne City, you have to force Perth Glory to play the style of game you want to. Otherwise, they're going to run all over you if you even let them get anywhere near playing the game that they want to. And I think we saw that on the weekend. Chris, what do you make of it from a Melbourne City perspective? Obviously, they're... Squad is loaded. There are always challenges in this league. Yes, it's, of course, it's not ideal to go down to Perth at home, but it, it can't be too much more than just a bump in the road for them. Yeah, again, it's something that would not be ideal for them. It's certainly not something they would have been uh, wanting to take on, I'm stating the obvious, but they've had one game. It's their first loss of the season. They're still sitting equal top of the ladder with Perth. Uh, they'll be very much just looking to focus on that rebound. They get an opportunity on Friday when they take on a Central Coast Mariners after their result last week. And uh, Melbourne City, you would back them to to head to Gosford and get the win there and resume normal transmission, I think. I mean, this is a very talented lineup that Melbourne City have. I think... Uh, like, we just saw them absolutely dismantle Sydney FC for 75 minutes before this game. The international break off that, like... If you look at this squad, it's full of future Matildas, current Matildas, past Matildas, you know, international players galore. Like, this on paper is one of, if not the strongest side in the league. But yeah, I definitely think this sets them back a little bit because if you're losing to another title contender, and not only that, but just the fashion in which they lost to a title contender at home. Now, I know it's not... I was not Casey Fields, and I was not Amy Park. I know it's uh, BT Corners Reserve, which, if memory serves me, is Preston's home ground. And if it's not, I'll have a bunch of very angry Macedonians uh, in my mentions when this drops. <laughs> Again, a rainy day in Melbourne, so probably not the easiest of playing conditions. Although, to be fair, that probably should be a home field advantage at this point if it's raining in Melbourne. Probably. Um, and I think the other thing that just might have hindered City a little bit here was. There was only 870-odd people in the stadium. Like, this is a stadium where you see the scenes come out of it when Preston play at home, 3,000, 4,000 people on a Friday night, and this just looked completely empty. And I know people stay away because of the rain, but, like, City is starting to build. They've got a, they've got a very talented lineup, and I think, where, like, where are the fans? It's a very good question. I think, I think it's the challenge sometimes with some of the... Uh... A-League women's sides that might have a bit of a nomadic existence. And I had a chat with you know, someone involved at the Jets at the moment. They've obviously had a, a really big bounce, and we'll touch on their game shortly. Uh, they've had a really big bounce in terms of fans. They had a, a record crowd for you know their home, their main home ground in number two sports ground on the weekend. And 
they've got some concerns now because they've got games moving to Maitland later in the year. And that is the challenge is how do you get the fans to follow? It's not, you know, the old traditional, you know, NPL system of every second Saturday at three o'clock, we're at home at our ground and you turn up, you buy beer, you buy hot dogs and you have a good time and watch us hopefully perform and you lift us there because we've got a good crowd. So it's challenging, um, trying to keep up to date, trying to follow through. But again, it, it seems to pardon the pun that there's a lot of fair weather football fans that want to look for reasons not to go to games. And I understand rain is one of those um, at the moment that, you know, want to say, why was me and why is there no fans at the game? But lots of them aren't looking in the mirror and, and getting out and supporting the team. And it's what we need to see. We need people to be making that effort. And is that the product or is it the, the apathy of, you know, options that now sit in front of us and the fact that we can, you know, tune into such a high quality streaming product as Paramount Plus rather than go to the game in the rain. Tongue tucked nicely in cheek there, Chris. Well done. Uh, we will go to the Newcastle-Sydney game that finished 1-0 to Sydney FC. Paletti, Courtney Ryan, she's back. We've got Emma Tilda back on the park. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was a brief stint, but it was her goal that made the difference in this one. Okay, I know in the men's episode I talked about Adam Taggart's not going to get any easier goals handed to him, but this was quite literally a tap-in from one yard out. Uh, I mean, don't worry. Right place, right time, and that's where you have to be as a forward. Uh, look, to be honest, this game should have been put to bed, um, you know, probably inside the first half, if I'm being completely honest. How Sydney weren't 3-0, 4-0 up at any point in this game will continue to baffle me. Newcastle kept themselves in it for basically, you know, the entire 90 minutes. Um, you know, even still, they looked like nabbing a late equaliser at the end in stoppage time. This was just one of those games where it's almost like you had to be there to kind of get the full grasp of just how back and forth this game is, how different players were interacting with the pitch. Because I don't think pictures on television did it justice because one of the drawbacks to television is you can't see the entire pitch, whereas you can at the ground. And it's all the stuff going on in back play. It's players setting themselves up in positions off the ball. Like these are the things that you need to look at. And so I think, yeah, how Sydney weren't 3-0, 4-0 up, it absolutely baffles me. And I know we talked a little bit about their chopping and changing lineup um, at the moment, but, you know, Courtney Vine comes back, gets a tap in. She did struggle a little bit coming off the World Cup you know, to start the season in terms of goal scoring. Is is this the kickstart that she needed now that she's back from injury? Time will tell. And Chris, uh, Sydney continued their climb up the table. They still got two games in hand and are already in the finals positions. It really feels like since they've come back from the AFC Club Championships, they've almost got this, you know, swagger about them, you know. Yeah, we're the previous champions. We're the ones that went off and represented the country in Asia. We're a really good side. And they're playing some really nice football. As Pelletti said, it could have been a lot more in this game. You know, they put a three-pass Adelaide, that was, which was their first return game, and they're looking really good. They are looking good in terms of their lead-up play, their set-up play. But, look, there was a couple of reasons. One of the big reasons was Natasha Pryor for the Jets. One of the best performances or her best performance in Jets colours yet. She was phenomenal. One of the saves that I still don't know how she got herself back onto the goal line after the first up save from Izzy Nino to head that ball away. But this game was a perfect example of just in those moments, the crowd felt like it gave Newcastle that extra boost. Nearly 4,000 people there, which is a huge crowd for a bottom half of the table A-League women's side to have in attendance. And you could see what that delivered in terms of the game and in terms of the players from Newcastle. Sydney, though, great build-up, great lead-up. There's a couple of their forwards who 
probably want to have a look at finishing school and what they're doing there. Uh, I'm not going to name names right now, but I will if it continues in further episodes, don't worry. But <laughs> the, the piece behind it is they've got to be really cautious that that swagger doesn't turn into complacency because if you're going to sides like Newcastle, who are, they're going to be up for Sydney. They're going to see Sydney climbing the ladder. They know the, where Sydney have been with the um, Asian women's competition. They know all of these things. Sydney are going to have a target on them. So they're going to need to be up to that challenge because there's going to be teams that, no matter where they're sitting on the table, will take nothing more than pride out of knocking off the Sky Blues when they get the opportunity, especially on their home turf. And to be fair, even though they had the best of the opportunities, they're very lucky that they did walk out of there with the full points and not just a share of the points because for a long time, Paletti, it looked like that was going to be the case. Yeah, I was ripping out what little hair I had in frustration at different points, um, just watching the way that Sydney FC were playing and just the finishing and I mean this is far from perfect performance but three points are three points and I think this is a case of okay it's done you break it down in training on Tuesday or whenever Sydney FC train next then you forget about it and you move on to next week and you just pretend this game never happened and because yeah there were definitely points where this didn't look good so yeah I I think I, I just think that's all you can take from this is just three points thanks for coming and We'll forget this game happened in a couple of days. Uh, I liked Chris's point about, you know, the crowd giving a boost. Uh, 3,842, a ground record for the number two sports ground. Uh, not quite the not quite the um, crowd record overall for the Newcastle Jets women. That was uh, 4,100 and change. Uh, Maitland sports ground, I believe, um, was, was that one, Chris? Uh, not certain on the venue. It would have either been Maitland sports ground or Magic Park, depending on um, when it would have been, I would think. You know, 4,100 and change is the overall crowd record for the Newcastle Jets. But um, I'll tell you what, 3,842. Take my word for it when I say you could not move in that grandstand because holy hell, it was tight at different points. And like, hopefully these crowds continue for Newcastle. Maybe we keep breaking records. Of course, Chris, a big reason for those crowds is their very handy Matilda's recruit, Emily Van Egmond, where three quarters of the way through her guest in now... Newcastle have had tight losses to both City and Sydney, two of the top teams in the competition, we think, and a win against Canberra. They'll go up against Western United this weekend. We did say hopefully this gives them, if anything, just a little bit of confidence uh, that the Newcastle Jets can build on, maybe with a few wins. They've only got one win out of this little stint. How, how do you reckon the success has been of this little guest stint from Ben Egmont? Well, I think, I think certainly we've seen you know the likes of Lara Gooch and some of these other young players that are getting the opportunity to, to rub shoulders with Emily on a regular basis are starting to, to come into their own a little bit more. We saw it on the weekend. Emily went off at half-time and, again, unclear on the exact reasons behind that, assuming it was possibly load management after you know Tony Gustafsson obviously worked her to the bone on international duty. It, it's, I think that's where the, uh, the benefit is. Again, talking to the CEO of the Newcastle Jets, Shane Matiski, on the weekend, the, the piece is now keeping those fans engaged with continued improving performances for the Jets as they continue to go on. They've got a great opportunity. It was a four-game stint, as you said. Their last game is this weekend. They're at home again against Western United, a very winnable game for the Jets. Again, if they can get a win, get a result there, they've got another Matilda who came back into their lineup on the weekend, a former Matilda, albeit in Gemma Simon, who is another local from Newcastle like Emily. So starting to build and pull on those strings as well as the fact that they've got some of these academy players who, and Paletti and I touched on it on the weekend, the academy players they've brought through this year have been far more successful in what they've put on the pitch in the early part of the season than possibly some of the ones they've had in previous years who've you know come up against it and maybe been pushed a little bit earlier than they might have needed to. So 
there's lots of pieces there. Time will tell. Um, but you just hope that the Jets fans are patient and, and understand they've got a pretty stacked lineup even without Emily Van Egmond when you've got Serena Bolden, uh, Mindy Barbieri, Melina Ayers waiting in the wings as well when she can come back. There's some some fair strike power there. Throw in young Lara Gooch, who we've seen this year, and then the likes of Gemma Simon. It's it's still pretty um, pretty good silver linings for the Jets as they move forward, even though there's a big loss in Emily Van Egmond as she uh, leaves. But hopefully they'll see more of her in the future at different points, whether that's on a guest or full-time basis later in her career. Okay, Canberra United 5, Brisbane Raw 1 now. And Paletti, it's finally happened. We've been saying it all year so far. Canberra are always going to score goals. It's just about keeping them out of the other end. And they did it, 5-1 win. Uh, Vesna Milivojevic with the hat-trick, of course. But as I said in the intro, slightly soured by her having to leave the field due to injury. Yes, and we hope it's not the dreaded uh, three-letter ACL injury. Um there is, I mean, by the time you listen to this, there's every chance that you'll know what the injury is. We don't as we record on Monday night. So hoping it's not. I mean, Vesna Milivojevic is an absolute starter watch. Josh rewards with a hat-trick here. And it's a little disappointing that we're never going to see her in a Matilda's jersey. Uh, but that's a that's a discussion for another day. I think that this is what Cameron needed, right? They just needed, they needed to put goals past everyone. They needed the thumping and they needed the win. And it takes them off the bottom of the table. So hopefully, you know, I know we've talked about this a little bit, that this is what they need to kickstart their season. But if they don't have Vesna Milivojevic, where do they score goals? I mean, I know we've still got Michelle Heyman, but Vesna Milivojevic is probably the best overall player that this Canberra side has. How do they replace her if this is indeed a long-term injury? And I don't have an answer to that question and I'll tell you what someone needs to have an answer to that question that's getting paid money to actually have the answer to that question yeah Chris I won't dispute Pletty's claim there she's a player that can't be replaced like for like you're never going to find an answer to that question but you know how often do Canberra score five goals and Michelle Heyman's name isn't on the score sheet you know she's still there able to tuck away goals she's chasing that milestone as we know it's going to be tricky without Milivojevic but you know, it's good for Canberra get their first win and start building their season. It certainly is. I think that's where they need to be focusing is on the positives. Obviously, we'll, we'll wait and see the news on Vesna's injury. She scored eight of their 15 goals. The phenomenal thing about that isn't the fact that she scored more than half their goals this season. It's the fact that they're sitting second last, but they are the second most prolific team in the A-League women's this season. And they've got games in hand. It's absolutely phenomenal statistic. Hopefully, it is the point for them in terms of, I guess, turning, turning the corner. Big test next week against Melbourne victory. Even bigger, as you say, if uh, Vesna is out of action. But we'll wait and see uh, some fairly positive post-game from her on her social media. Um, but no actual news out about the injury as we record, as we've touched on. So we'll wait and see. Um, and hopefully it was just a scare. And um, she did go off of her own sort of bearing weight um, and down the tunnel. So hopefully that's a good sign. And it was just a bit of a knock or a catch. And it's not that dreaded three-letter word as uh, Paletti touched on because we've seen more than enough of those already this season in the A-League W. Paletti, assuming they can replace the goals, what do you make of their defensive performance? Did they do enough in this game to convince you that they're going to be able to maintain that going forwards? I'm not too sure how to look at that. I mean, I think part of this has to do with Brisbane as well. They haven't looked great since Alex Smith came in, which makes the decision to replace Gareth McPherson all the more baffling. 
by all accounts, there's something that happened behind the scenes. I don't think we'll ever know what happened resulted in that. But, I mean, this isn't a good start. And, you know, we heard all these different things about Brisbane wanted to do things with the women's program, this and that. But going winless since replacing the manager isn't the way to go about that. I mean, maybe maybe it's a culture thing. Maybe it's, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, things that we're never going to find out as you know i've kind of already touched on a little bit so i i want to see more of canberra and i want to see them performing consistently before i say that you know they fix their defensive issues much like adelaide and we'll touch on that a little bit later i i, I need to see more from canberra before you know before i give a definitive answer on that yeah chris plot is right the brisbane Royal are in a tricky position now because you know from an operational point of view they're obviously thinking long-term with whatever reasoning they had behind the decision to remove Gareth McPherson, but now they're going to have to justify some poor results. They haven't won since he's been in charge. Uh, you know, that's tough to take for fans. I'm not sure what the opposite of new manager bounce is because we've seen nearly every other new manager appointed this year that's gone in the other direction, but it's concerning. They're sliding down the ladder after Sydney's win on the weekend. They're now outside the top six and not showing any sign of arresting that when you're shipping five to admittedly a very attacking oriented side but there's some big concerns and you know it's not going to get any easier they come up against a team just below them on the ladder I believe in Western Sydney Wanderers who found some goal scoring form of their own on the weekend which we'll get to in a moment so nervy times uh, if you're a Brisbane Royal fan probably more nervy times if you're the person who wielded the axe on Gareth McPherson. All right, moving on now. Wellington Phoenix 2, Melbourne Victory 2. Uh, a very entertaining and tight top four encounter. And Paletti, a lot of action in the first half as we uh, talked about for the Sydney MacArthur game and the men's as well. Um, a little bit of controversy with Wellington's first goal, perhaps. Did it go out of bounds? I'm going to default to the assistant referee who was basically right on the uh, right on the byline um, from the corner. Had the perfect... had. had the best angle of anyone in the stadium as to whether or not that was going in, bar maybe, you know, a couple of Wellington Phoenix fans who had their seats right on that line. And, well, they're not going to say it's gone out, have they, if, if they've got a better angle than the AR. Um, and at the end of the day, the ruling is that it was in. It's gone to the back of the net. It stands as a goal. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a very windy day in Wellington. I, I, I liked this game. I thought that this was just, it was full of entertainment. Um, Aussie Kayla starts the scoring, and we can actually call her Aussie Kayla now. She's got her citizenship, so well done to Kayla Morrison. Um, long time coming. Uh, Tony Kappa. I don't know how you need to do it, but Kappa. Um, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to impact the way we look at both of these sides in terms of where they sit, you know, in a, in a power rankings of sorts. Um, but gosh, this was just fun to watch. It was absolutely fun to watch. And Chris, for me, it kind of just reaffirms the belief that these two teams will probably be up there come the end of the season. Of course, Wellington did have a chance to win the game. Uh, Speckmeyer, of course, in on goal in those last few minutes, couldn't quite nip the winner. But yeah, two teams, uh, excellent quality, who should be there come the pointy end. 100%. The two things I took away from this is this is the sort of football that will bring fans to stadiums and fans to watching the women's game. And the second thing is these two are contenders. I don't know that we need to take much more out of it. I don't know we need to read much more into it at this point of the season. But these two sides are going to play exciting football. So if you get the opportunity to watch either of them, whether it's live or whether it's on 
you know, our wonderful friends at Paramount, then get around these two sides. They both have some really good talent at both ends of the field. And yeah, well worth the price of admission uh, when you get that chance or the price of subscription. Uh, the only thing I can think of is to watch back my eyes miss that, uh, you know, potential winning goal was that the win just got hold of it. Although apparently the wind died down for the second half. So who actually knows? Um, other than that, I don't think I've got anything else in this game. Okay, we'll move on to Western Sydney Wanderers 3, Central Coast Mariners 0. Uh, Sophie Harding masterclass, as I said, Pauletti, uh, she was exceptional in this game. And, and the Western Sydney Wanderers get a convincing win over newly minted Mariners. Harding's finally found a goal-scoring boot. Um, Taron King had the own goal for, for the Wanderers. I think it was the second goal. I'm pretty sure was Sophie Harding scored either side of that. Uh, my memory of this game's a little bit hazy uh, because of the horrendous heat that battered Sydney on Friday and uh, on Saturday as well. One drinks break I can understand in a half of football. If you need two drinks breaks and a half, maybe that's an indication that the game should not be being played or kickoff should be pushed back. Uh, Wanderers get a win. They get it at home. Like the Wanderers own that facility. What was stopping them from pushing kickoff back half an hour? What was stopping them from pushing it back an hour? It, for those who haven't been to Wanderers Football Park, it's open air. There is a seated grandstand, but it faces into the sun. So the sun's directly onto the grandstand. It's uh, If you remember primary school, like the old metal seating, that's what the seating is at Wanderers Football Park that's uh, basically bolted down onto concrete sitting in the sun, it's not the most pleasant experiences at the best of times, let alone on hot days. The ground retains a lot of heat. I mean, this is just, what are we doing here? We talk about player welfare all the time. We talk about this and that, but like two drinks breaks and a half, it's no wonder that the Mariners struggled to get into this game at points because, and I know both sides have to play on this pitch and the Wanderers did much better than the others, uh, than the Mariners, but they were playing at home. Like for the Mariners, what is it? You know, you get you get started, start to build some momentum, 10, 15 minutes. Oh, there's a drinks break. You completely kill the momentum. You build your momentum back up, 10, 15 minutes. You find where everyone's going on the pit. Oh, another drinks break. And your momentum gets completely killed and then start to build things back up and oh, Sophie Harding scores. And Chris, it's not even about the competitiveness of the game, but it's about the entertainment quality of the football product that we're trying to produce, right? Because even without the drinks breaks in warm temperatures, teams are going to play differently. They're going to play the conditions, probably going to slow the game down a little bit. And we see that so often in Australia when it comes to summer. And as Pauletti said, you know, this wasn't unforeseen. We knew it was going to be hot in Sydney this weekend. Moving the game back a little bit to play it, get it out of the sun a little bit, doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. No, 100%. I don't understand what the thinking was or the thinking wasn't probably is the more accurate piece um, if memory serves me correct, too, it was it was a little bit earlier kickoff. Like I know the men's kicked off at seven forty-five at Gosford on the same night, so I don't understand why they couldn't have pushed it back. Yes, this is a seven o'clock kickoff at Wanderers Football Park. Look, I don't think it's any coincidence that the action and the entertainment picked up in the second half once the sun had started to set and the temperature dropped. Because, like, now, granted, I wasn't in uh, Rudy Hill for this game. I was I was sitting around in Campbelltown, but it's still Western Sydney, close enough. Temperature's still pretty hot, and yeah, I didn't notice it start to cool down drastically until the sun went down at about 8 o'clock where I could finally turn off my car's air conditioner. So I can only imagine how the players would have been sweltering in the heat out there 
you know, baking in the last of, you know, a very hot Friday sun. So push the game back to 7.30. I don't think anyone's going to complain. Yeah, you've then got to, okay, maybe the first half isn't as entertaining as the second half, but you have a better chance of that entertainment factor because the reality is, as much as this is sports, this is also an entertainment business. Fans, um, you know, fans' enjoyment needs to be uh, of paramount importance. And I think just the way that you look at this overall as well, it's also player safety. You've got to remember, these are athletes. These are their jobs. You can't put them in unsafe environments and forcing them to play in sweltering temperatures. How is that not a workplace health and safety violation? I know they've got the wet bulb index. I know they've got all that, but like, Stevie Wonder could have seen that it was too hot to be playing a game. I think it's more of a <laughs> more of a feel thing than a sight thing. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, he probably could have. But look, I think 100% in terms of pushing it back, the, other, the thing I'm going to put down there is how often do we use the term a game of two halves? Because, you know, as soon as you get a break, there's a change of momentum, there's an opportunity to reset. No one's ever said a game of 6-6, six, six, and there's a reason for that. I can cop one drinks break. I can't cop two. It's just madness. If you can't commit to playing in a temperature that's going to allow you to play at least 22 and a half minutes of football straight, well, we shouldn't be playing. As, uh, as Simon Hill said a couple of weeks ago, we are not cricket. We have halftime, not tricks breaks. <laughs> Final game of the round now, Adelaide United 1, Western United 3. Oh, there you go, a couple of United's offs. Uh, new manager bounce, Paletti. We've got another one. Yes, yes, we do. Cat Smith coming in for Mark Torcaso. Uh, who left Western United to focus purely on his role at the Philippines uh, women's national team. And we touched on this uh, last week, so uh, feel free to go back and listen to our episode from last Friday if you want my thoughts on that. Two for Adriana Taranto, one for Hannah Kane uh, in stoppage time to seal the three points. Uh, Chelsea Dorber on the score sheet for Adelaide. Uh, for me, the big story out of this one is how do Adelaide fix their defensive issues? Because this is 17 goals they've leaked now this season. For all the for all the high praise that we put on Canberra's attack, it's been just as bad at the other end for Adelaide United. And, you know, we saw them play out, uh, Canberra and Adelaide play out a 4-4 draw to kick off the season of memory serving me correctly. So how do they fix their defensive issues? Because it doesn't seem to be getting easier for Adelaide United. I know we've got a longer season... But how long can Adelaide go before you absolutely, you know, write the pen through them? Yeah, it, it's tricky. And, you know, Antonis at the start of the year when he was previewing this team for us, he was saying that his concern was their attack going forward and inability to score goals. So if they're not scoring goals going forward and as we've seen, they're conceding them at the back end as well, it really does leave them in a tricky situation. And Chris, as much as we've been saying that, you know, the longer season helps teams get more time and they can – 16's final series, they have more opportunity to come back later in the year. It also has the byproduct of extending the misery a little bit for some teams. It really does. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's very early doors. They've had a had not a great year last year and it seems to be continuing in the women's and it's going to be a rough time to be in the city of churches at the moment with the form of both their men's and women's sides. Uh, yeah, I think we might need to uh, be on Antonis' watch if uh, this continues. <laughs> He was a late out for the podcast. He says he was sick, but uh, we might have to launch an inquiry. I'm not sure. <laughs> From a Western United point of view, though, Pauletti, obviously they have a new manager. It's a little bit of a different scenario. I know we called it a new manager bounce, but 
It's not like they were playing particularly poorly. The coach, you know, Tilcaso, the load was simply just too much trying to manage Western and the Philippines as well. So it's a change, but it's not a scenario where potentially, you know, the players are really looking forward to a, like a new idea that we often hear. It's just a new manager. They're still playing good football and this could be the kickstart to, to their season. I mean, they're into fifth now, um, top six finals, so they're into a final spot as it stands. Look, I think what we're going to see here is we're going to see some good football out of them. You know, Newcastle next week, a trip, another trip to uh, the number two sports ground, uh, and I might, uh, I might have to make another trip up the M1 for that um, because I do want to watch this Western United side in action and just kind of get a feel for how they're playing in person. I think that we know that the talent's there. This side went to a grand final last year and just ran into a hot Sydney outfit who finally had a grand final go their way, as I've been reminded consistently. Um, I think that this is... I I think, yeah, kickstart's probably the right word to use. Um, And I know I typed that word into the run sheet, uh, so I I hope it's the right (laughs) word to use or else I'm second-guessing myself there. Um, Can we get an edit of the Obama meme putting a medal on himself <laughs> with Pelé's face? I, so I think that this is, um, yeah, I definitely think it's the right word to use. And look, I think we'll get a better idea of where Western United are at against Newcastle on Sunday at the number two sports ground. So if you're in the Hunter or feel like making a trip up the M1, uh, by all means, get to this game because that should be an absolute cracker. And Chris, what an opportunity for Cat Smith as well, because as we said, it wasn't like a usual sacking of a manager. She's coming into a team that made a grand final last year. They've been playing fine so far this year. Really good squad to build around, has really great potential. It certainly does. Um, it's a uh, it's a fairly loaded squad. It's a squad that on paper should be a top four contender for sure. And look, you know, at the end of the day, she's a very capable coach coming in to to take that next step. And hopefully continue their climb up the ladder for the Western United fans because their their men aren't giving them many glimpses of hope. And uh, the one thing I do want to just touch on, I, I love talking about the A-League Club Championship because no one talks about it and everyone forgets about it. I just want to note that MacArthur are above both Western United and Adelaide on that and MacArthur <laughs> only have one team. So it's very nervous. Western United at least heading in the right direction with their women's. Uh, only Canberra below uh, Adelaide as it stands and we know why that is. And uh, Pauletti, of course, MacArthur don't have a women's team uh, at this point, but they are trying to get one. You have a little bit of news on that? Uh, yes, stay tuned to the Inner Sanctum throughout the week. Um, I had a chat today with their CEO, Sam Krislovic. Um, so I will be looking forward to bringing that one to you. So stay tuned to the innersanctum.com.au. Okay. I've also reached out to us on socials as well. We have our, our X platform, A-Leagues of our own. We'd love to hear from you there. But that will do for this episode of the Eight Leagues of Our Own podcast. Apoliti, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Chris McPherson, thank you. Thanks as always. We'll be back on Friday for a review of the final group stage match day of the Asian Champions League and AFC Cup competitions. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye.